Good to have everyone with us today. I'll bring in the panelists in a minute, but uh, I am having some uh, internet pausing. So if I hiccup, it's uh, the tech, I'll just blame it on the technical stuff. But coming in, if you're coming in on a Zoom app, uh, we're glad you're here. Please open up your chat window or your chat window by clicking on the chat or uh, hand that little uh, Q&A box and uh, type in any questions or comments as we're going through the program. You want to give us your thoughts and questions, go ahead and type it there. We'll be monitoring the text there. And also, if you're coming in from the Facebook page, uh, just go ahead and put your comments in the Facebook comment box and we'll be monitoring that as well. Let me bring in our panelists. Stephen, how are you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing well, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to see you guys. Okay. And again, I'm, I'm seeing you guys frozen. I don't see myself frozen. So I, I, I don't hear see you, you frozen. So no. Okay. You thought Scott, out nicely here. All right. Good, good, good. It's just my end on the receiving, I guess. Scott, how you doing? Our program director, Scott Smeltzer, how you be? I'm doing well. Excellent. Good to have, every, good to have everyone here. So please, Scott, take it away. What are we talking about today? Okay, and before I do that, Drew, I think you were going to mention Wednesday's broadcast and also how the podcasts are going. And right after you do that, then I'll come back and get started on to that. Okay, great. Yeah, in fact, you were breaking up on me, but I think I remembered I was supposed to mention that. I said this is the Tuesday edition. Welcome to the Tuesday edition. But we also have the broadcast, a webcast on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. And that's um, hosted by... Uh, Scott's brother, uh, Jeff Smeltzer. So if you, if you got the time to see uh, the program, there it is on same place, BibleQuest.tv on Wednesday. I'm sorry, what? And Joe Works and Chase Byers. Yeah, right. Joe Works and Chase Byers is also with them. And then it, uh, we, we do have a lot of you uh, listening to the recorded programs um, when we post it to the podcast versions, which is just the audio. And we're welcoming you guys in too. We're glad you're joining us through the podcast. And if you, since you're not watching it or listening live, go to BibleQuest.tv and uh, enter in uh, in the forums there any questions or comments, things you'd like us to share and talk about, or questions that you may have about the Bible. We really invite everyone to participate in the discussion. All right, Scott, go ahead and take it away. Okay, so when you open your Bible, there's two main divisions in your Bible. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. I'm gonna start by asking the panel uh, briefly, what are some of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And then what are some of the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And then we'll be getting into some, one of those connections later, which would be typology. But first off, panel, what, what are some of the differences between our Old Testament and our New Testament? Well, one that's really easy to see, I've got my Bible open to the beginning of the New Testament, and you see the difference in size. Um, Old Testament is much larger, longer than the New Testament. And one of the reasons for that, over how many years approximately was the Old Testament written? Somewhere around a thousand years, give or take. And uh, the New Testament, all written? Within a hundred. <laughs> yeah, in fact, maybe within about 50, yeah. All right, uh, or even less. Uh, and what are some of the other differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, one thing that's helpful to understand is the Old Testament is all written well before the time of Jesus. In fact, the last book is written about 400 years, give or take, uh, before the time of Jesus. 
uh, whereas the New Testament is all written after the time of Jesus, covering the time that Jesus is alive, uh, all the way uh, through the end of uh, the time of the apostles. So it's um, a big time difference on the two right. of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, when Jesus was born, people had the Old Testament books, but all of the New Testament books will be written shortly after Jesus's life. A couple of other differences between the Old and New Testaments. Uh, you couldn't really tell it from reading in an English Bible, but they were originally written in different languages. So the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew and uh, maybe Aramaic, New Testament written in Greek. All right, very good. And the audience for the Old Testament was primarily, and first off, for who? For the Jews, Jews initially. And then that's really important. It's just a common misconception. If you just open up your Old Testament and it's talking about like what you can and can't eat, or lots of different specific national laws. Those things were specifically for the Jews who entered into a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and for their descendants. And the New Testament is going to be written to all nations, including the Jews, but also including all these other nations. And there's a lot of discussion about uh, who all that applies to. And what we see in the New Testament is the Old Testament is primarily written to Jews and the New ah. Testament written to all people. Now, what are some of the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Now, I'll start off with one, tying into what G, uh, uh, Stephen just mentioned. These promises to Abraham included that in him, and through his descendants, and in him, all nations would be blessed. So while that covenant with Moses was for the, Jew, for the Israelite nation, there had been a promise through Abraham that through him a blessing was going to come that would go to all nations. What are some of the other connections between the Old Testament and New Testament? Yeah, there were, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter, um, that there were uh, prophets in the Old Testament that prophesied about things that would be fulfilled uh, in the New Covenant and that they, you know, longed to look into those things. And Peter mentions that those things have been revealed uh, in Jesus. So there's a lot of fulfillment that happens in the New Testament um, as it relates to some of the things talked about in the Old Testament, which we're going to touch on some of those today. Very good. CJ writes in, he says, another difference is there's a different lawgiver. In the Old Testament, once you get to Exodus, you have the law of Moses through Moses. And in the New Testament, we have what Paul calls the law of Christ. Stephen? Yeah, I like the way that Galatians 3 in verse 24 puts it. It says, uh, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And this idea of a guardian or a school teacher or a tutor, um, as different translations have it, is this idea that the Old Testament is teaching us things about God and even things about Christ that are going to come to fulfillment in the New Testament, as Jonathan already mentioned, is that the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. I've heard it put simply, the Old Testament is generally saying Jesus is coming, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are saying Jesus is here. And the letters and the rest of the New Testament is saying Jesus is coming back. Um, and so it's kind of a simple breakdown of the message of the scriptures. All right. And um, we're going to start talking in a minute about typology. But I'd like to also just touch on the idea of, you, you use words like schoolmaster there or tutor. Uh, in math, before you learn multiple and division, you need to learn what? Addition and subtraction. Addition and subtraction. And then later you're going to get into algebra and, and those type of things. 
So some fundamental things from the Old Testament is God is holy. God is everlasting. Uh, God uh, calls for holiness among his people. And sin is not without a cost. And there were to be blood sacrifices for sin. So those were some common basic things in the Old Testament. And how does that kind of tie in with the New Testament? Well, those problems, specifically the problem of sin and its separation, um, I mean, you have on like page three of your Bible is where sin enters the picture and it, it sticks around for the rest of the Bible. Um, and it's still a problem today. Um, and so the New Testament has the permanent answer to that. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is when Joseph is told, told to name the baby Jesus, which is the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which, and what does Yeshua mean? What's the idea behind that word? Jehovah saves. From the Lord, yeah. yeah. Name this baby, Jehovah saves, or Yahweh saves, or salvation is of Yahweh. Name this baby that because it is he that will save his people from their sins. All right, so that general discussion started. Let's start looking at typology, because uh, the Bible was originally, it's a number of different books. It's not just one book, it's a number of different books. But we put them together, and just like in a human written novel, sometimes an author will foreshadow. Uh, my favorite example, I'm not going to go into any details on it, but in To Kill a Mockingbird, there's lots of foreshadowing in that book. And there's foreshadowing because the author knows where the book is going to go. And so things are laid down in there for where the book is going to go. Uh, so do we have foreshadowing in the Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah, all kinds of foreshadowing. All right. So we're going to start with Isaac, Abraham and Isaac. And we'll, if one of you will turn to Genesis 22 and get ready to read for that. And if the other one will just kind of lay out briefly. Who, who are Abraham and Isaac just kind of set the table for the chapter we're about to read? I can set it up. Um, so Abraham was, um, he was just a, a regular guy that was chosen by God. He was called by God to go leave his country and go to a new country. And he had a, a relationship with God. God was uh, speaking with him and he ended up leaving, going to what would be his people's promised land. Um, and he was eventually promised a son and he and his wife were, very old, um, uh, well advanced in years, and didn't seem like that would be possible. But God granted them and blessed them uh, a son with a son. Uh, Abraham was 100. Sarah, his wife, was 90 when they had that son. And that was Isaac, who was this, this promised son that God had said would come. And through that son, he would have a huge family that would eventually inherit this land that God would give him. Yes. And so every, when you have a baby, you love that baby, you want to take care of that baby. If you've ever noticed, sometimes older parents, when they finally have their first child, are sometimes a little bit overprotective. And in this case, there's a lot of promises riding on this son as well. Back in Genesis 12, God had made three promises to Abraham. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to make from you a great nation. And then from you, all nations will be blessed. But it was some time before the son was born, and then the son was born. And that brings us to a very challenging, remarkable chapter, Genesis 22. Go ahead, Steve. Genesis 22 and verse 1. Uh, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. 
And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Incredibly difficult command right out of the gate for Abraham, this son that God promised him in his old age that he shouldn't have been able to have. It's miraculous that he and Sarah are able to conceive. He then says, go and offer that child as a burnt offering in a place that I'm going to show you. And verse three, it's amazing that there's no rebuttal. There's no, but God, in verse three, it simply says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And uh, so we can read the whole chapter sometime. It's, it's a powerful uh, picture. What we see in Genesis 22 is that on the way there, Isaac asks the question, uh, you know, here's the wood for the offering, you know, here's the fire, but where's the offering? And Abraham says, uh, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And a telling phrase, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, and there's a little bit of extra information into maybe what was going on in Abraham's mind that's given in Hebrews chapter 11, um, which I think is just really, really cool and, and a huge foreshadow of what would eventually happen when God does provide his lamb, which we're going to get to uh, in just a, a second. But in Hebrews chapter 11, now this is in the New Testament, in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise uh, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall all of your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So you really see the, the great faith that uh, Abraham has in God, um, thinking that even, even God could raise Isaac back from the dead uh, if it came to that. Mm -hmm. Powerful to think about that. And so there's Abraham considering that God's able to rise him from the dead, uh, able to, to raise him from the dead. And uh, in, this is Genesis 22, 10. It said, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham goes on to name the place the Lord will provide after what he said to Isaac, the Lord will provide a lamb for the offering. So a lot of foreshadowing going on in this story. The story is amazing by itself, but it's made even more amazing when we think about how it foreshadows Jesus. Now, before we get to Jesus, let's think of what lessons are learned from this chapter. Faith. Uh, and putting God's will first. Uh, you know, what greater test could there have been? But as Hebrews would say, by faith, he did this, and he trusted in God's ability, you know, to fix it, the Hebrew writer says. And he doesn't know why, but he's willing to do it. And he's not required to do it. And then the lamb, or the, the animal is caught in the thicket. I think it was a ram. And you, you've got that. One other detail I don't think we mentioned, he found Isaac. 
which, I mean, just even that, tying up your son, and, and then think of Isaac realizing at some point who the sacrifice is. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, this very striking story shows this remarkable extreme faith of Abraham in the most difficult challenge. Until we get to the New Testament, and then we find something. And so let's uh, share a screen here. And the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament was a shadow of the things to come. And so when we look at Isaac and Jesus, uh, take your son, your only son whom you love. That's from Genesis 22. What verse does that maybe remind you of in the New Testament? John 3.16. Yes. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right, Jonathan. Yeah, and there's a comment from Perry that, that makes that connection. Um, he says, as challenging and horrific uh, as that probably would have been for, for Abraham in Genesis 22, um, think of the honor that God gave Abraham to experience being the father who took his son, his only son, uh, whom he loves and offer him as a sacrifice, which is eventually what God himself would do. Yeah. yeah, Abraham's being asked to show the willingness to do what God himself does with his son later. All right, then offer him in sacrifice at Moriah. This is very striking. Before the New Testament comes, if you thought, why did he have to go to the land of Moriah? And how long did it take him to get there? Three days. Three days. So, Stephen, you're a father. Suppose you were called upon to sacrifice one of your children. With all the challenge and the confusion and the horrific feelings that you'd be feeling, what if in there it also said, I want you to go to Alaska and do it. Well, Abraham, he, he went. But why? Why go over there? The Old Testament doesn't tell us. In fact, Moriah is only mentioned one more time in the New Testament, in 2 Chronicles 3, and it has to do with where Solomon builds the temple. And, of course, what city did Solomon build the temple in? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So if this is the same Moriah, 2,000 years before God offers his son as a sacrifice at Jerusalem, what does Abraham have to do? Offer his son right, right in that out. same region. Yeah. All right. And then what did Isaac have to carry? The wood of the offering. What did Jesus carry? What of his offering his cross? <laughs> yeah. And as Jonathan said, the Hebrew writer states, Abraham thought God has the ability to raise him from the dead, which in a sense he did receive him back. And when God's son is sacrificed, what happens? He's raised actually literally from the dead. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I don't think I have on this uh, chart here the fact that they were both bound. You're reading the Gospels. Jesus, the son, was bound. Isaac was bound. And now, when we read that statement that Abraham says, when Isaac says, you know, some nearly 2,000 years before, uh, roughly, not, not exactly, Isaac says, where is the sacrifice? Look at Abraham's answer, not meaning that he understood what he said, but look at the words. 
Abraham's answer was what? God will provide for himself a lamb for the offering. Wow. So that's, that, that account sat there for hundreds and hundreds of years showing great faith, but no explanation as to why it had to go to Moriah and, and no, just this tremendous challenge. We get to the New Testament and a couple of millennia later and we see God actually doing the same thing with his son. Let's turn our, unless does anybody have a comment on that for we move to Joseph? All right, let's turn to Joseph. Somebody sum up for us the basic story of Joseph. Joseph is the, uh, introduced to us as the favorite of 12 boys in Jacob's family. So that makes Joseph the great grandson of Abraham. So it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 boys. And um, there's some favoritism that has run in the family. You're, you're still sharing your screen, Scott, by the way. Yes, I mean to have the Joseph chart up there along with our pictures. I hope there, that's what we've got. There we go. Okay, very good. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Just want to make you aware. So uh, we find Joseph as the favorite of his brothers and also the hated one of his brothers, not surprisingly, when there's favoritism, uh, there's often uh, jealousy and hatred that follow. And uh, the brothers uh, decide, they almost kill Joseph, but then they end up selling him into slavery. He's taken away to the land of Egypt. As far as they're concerned, Joseph is dead. Uh, he's taken to a foreign land and he works hard. He trusts in the Lord and he rises to a position of power within the household of Potiphar, who's a commander in Pharaoh's army. The Lord blesses him there until Pharaoh's wife tries to take advantage of Joseph. And then when he refuses, she frames him, makes it look like it's his fault. Joseph is thrown into a pit, thrown in a prison, basically. And there, uh, he is again faithful to God, trusts the Lord. And he ends up there with two others in the prison, one of whom uh, receives a, they both have these troubling dreams. And one of whom the interpretation of his dream is favorable. The other is tragic. He is killed after three days. But Joseph is there in the prison a while longer. And then when Pharaoh has a troubling dream, one of the prisoners remembers Joseph. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream and then is exalted to the, the right hand of power in Egypt, uh, second in command. And then there's a famine. As the Lord revealed to Joseph in Pharaoh's dream, there's a famine over the whole world. And lo and behold, Joseph's family, who think he's dead, have to come to Egypt to get food. And there's a dramatic uh, back and forth where Joseph is kind of testing his brothers to see if they're going to do to the next favorite, Benjamin, what they did to him. And when they show that they've changed, Joseph dramatically reveals himself to them that he's still alive and the Lord has used this turn of events to preserve many people alive. And so God ends up rescuing the whole family through what the brothers intended for evil. In fact, the, the story ends with Joseph saying, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And there's a lot of Old Testament shadows that happen in this whole story. All right. So, and, and as you mentioned, the interactions with the brothers, they've come, he can recognize them. It's been a few years. He was younger. 
they were older, they haven't changed as much. He's dressed like an Egyptian and speaking Egyptians with his attendants and stuff. Uh, they don't realize it's him. But the first time, because this is a detail, Jeff pointed this out uh, years ago, kind of striking. The first time he met with the brothers, how many of the brothers were there? Ten of them. Ten. He's over here and there's ten of his brothers. And then he makes arrangements so the second time he meets all Eleven. of his brothers are there. Um, let's start uh, going through some of these things now. Uh, so who was the beloved son uh, among Jacob's children? Joseph. And in the New Testament, who is the beloved son? Jesus. Were there any indications in Joseph's youth that, there, that he would be great someday? Yeah, Joseph had some dreams early on um, that were symbolic of him kind of being above uh, his brothers and then later on also being above his parents. And when Jesus was a baby, were there predictions and preludes of greatness for him? Mm -hmm. The things that the angel told Mary and Joseph. And then there's uh, when he's brought to the temple as a baby, um, Anna and Simon both have wonderful things to say about what's going to happen through him. Along with the shepherds and the wise men. So lots of that. John chapter 7 mentions that during his uh, earlier life, Jesus' brothers didn't receive him. They, they didn't believe him. And of course, how was Joseph treated by his brothers? He was rejected and sold. <laughs> yeah. And was there a conspiracy to kill Joseph? Yes, his, in, in his case, it was more intense rejection by the brothers. It was the brothers, some of them, who wanted to kill him. They said, let's kill him. But one said, no, let's you know, throw him in this pit. And then they end up selling him into slavery. Uh, but over and over in the Gospels, there's a clear conspiracy to kill Jesus. Um, before they threw Joseph in the pit, what did they take off of him? A special colorful cloak that his father gave him to show that he was the favorite. That coat of many colors. And what was stripped off of Jesus before his crucifixion? A purple robe that they were using to mock him as the king of the Jews. Yes. And why did they, why did they sell him into slavery? What did they get for it? Silver. Silver. And why did Judas... Uh, show the uh, officers of the Sanhedrin uh, or, or the soldiers and such where they could find Jesus at night away from the crowds? Person silver. What did they do with Joseph? What did they do with Jesus after the crucifixion? They buried him in, in a tomb. And in both cases, they were mourned as dead. The disciples on the road to Emmaus are mourning Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is already alive again, but they're still mourning him. And when the brothers come back to their father, having gotten rid of Joseph, did they say, oh, by the way, we were thinking about killing your favorite son. Instead, we sold him into slavery. Instead, <laughs> what have they done? They made it seem like he had been killed by an animal and Jacob was mourning for him. They'd ripped it up and put blood all over that coat of many colors. And so the Genesis 37 talks about, I think it's 37. Mm -hmm. Isaac said, I will go to my grave in mourning. 
But then Joseph is not left in the pit. He's brought up from the pit and Jesus comes out of the grave. And uh, Joseph ends up, after he got to Egypt, why did he get thrown in prison? Because Potiphar's wife lied. Yeah, victim of false witness. And what did they look for against Jesus? False witnesses. And then, as Stephen pointed out, uh, Joseph was with two other prisoners. One, good things are going to happen for. One, bad things are going to happen for. When Jesus dies, are there anybody, anybody else there with him? Yeah, the two thieves that are on either side of him, and one of them is told that he will be with Jesus in paradise. Yes, the penitent one, when the other one is mocking him along with the crowd, the crowd saying, if you're the son of God, you know, save yourself from that cross. And one of the thieves dying there too is mocking him as well. And the other thief said, we deserve to be here. He doesn't, he hasn't done anything wrong. It says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And then Jesus says that you're going to today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Uh, and then what happens to Joseph after he gets out of prison? He's going to rise to the second position in the whole kingdom, the right hand of power. And going back to Psalm 110, very messianic psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand. And on the day of Pentecost, when people are wondering how this miracle happened, which is about uh, 50 days after uh, the time that Jesus had died and rose again. And Peter announced that Jesus had risen from the dead according to prophecies and that he is now at the right hand of God. And first, uh, later in the story, Joseph gets to meet with 10 of his brothers, later uh, all of them, and Jesus, um, Judas is dead. Uh, the first time Jesus meets with the apostles, uh, the Gospel of John tells us one person's missing. Who's missing? Thomas. Yeah, and the next time, who's there? Thomas is there. All, All of them are there. And in both cases, people thought Joseph was dead, and then he's what? Seen him oh, again. And the Gospels end with people who thought Jesus was dead, like Mary. You know, tell me where you put him. And he says, Mary. She turned, and there he is, alive. And salvation came despite evil intent. As Stephen pointed out, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And here was the thing. Any comments on that before we move ahead? All right. What time is it? I can't see you. Okay. 2.31. Yeah, we've still got a few more minutes. Let's turn now to the story of Moses. Somebody, and of course, the, for the story of Moses, you get to the book of Exodus. And after, and I'll throw a connection between Joseph and Moses, and then somebody pick up and tell the story of Moses. So Joseph, after he's risen for power, he brings his family from the land of Canaan, because there's famine up there, and they're able to settle in the land of Goshen, and things are doing well. Uh, but... Joseph has died. And the book of Exodus begins with there arose a king that knew not Joseph, and he had enslaved the people. And so the people are doing really difficult burdens. They've got taskmasters with whips, uh, and the people are being very oppressed. 
and the king starts worrying that they're getting to be too many of them and so there's an order for the male children to be thrown into the river. Uh, Moses is spared that. And that's where we kind of start with the story of Moses. Somebody kind of give us a overview of the story of Moses. Yeah, so after, um, after Moses is born, um, there's the threat on his life because he is a Jewish male and the Egyptian Pharaoh wanted all of the Jewish males to be killed. Um, and so he's preserved through that uh, in a basket um, and then he's found by the Egyptian princess uh, and then eventually raised as an Egyptian prince. And somewhere along the way, um, he kills an Egyptian soldier who's beating uh, a Jewish slave. Um, and then he has to flee the country. He flees into the wilderness where he becomes a shepherd uh, and lives there for, I think, 40 years uh, as a shepherd until God calls him um, to go and deliver his people. And so God calls him out of the burning bush, really well-known story in Exodus 3. Uh, and Moses returns back with Aaron, um, and they go to Egypt, speak to Pharaoh. There's ten plagues, which illustrate God's power that he has over the Egyptian people and over all, all things. Uh, and eventually, Pharaoh releases the people. They go with Moses into the wilderness, um, going through the Red Sea uh, when God splits the sea open, and they go through, uh, pass safely through on the other side. They go to the mountain where the covenant, this old covenant that we read, is established. Um, between God and his people. And then Moses, through a lot of difficulty with the people being um, uh, not very tolerable of the conditions, um, he brings them patiently through the wilderness until they get to the land that God had originally promised back to Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 12. Right, very good. Drew? Yeah, uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you mentioned it, uh, but before Moses left Egypt, he was of the royal family. He was, as a son to the king, the, the Pharaoh. He was like a son and he was being raised in, in royalty and he had all of the advantages of royalty, but then he left. And Hebrews and, talked about, he puts the phrase in Hebrews 11. He did not consider. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt and chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Very good, thank, thank you, very good. All right. So that's the story of Moses. Uh, and he let the people out, and they're delivered from bondage, they're delivered from Egypt, they're headed for the promised land. If they would have behaved themselves, they could have had the promised land. They don't behave themselves, and so their children get to go in and inherit the promised land. Any other details you want to fill in about the story of Moses before we get to see how that relates to the life of Christ? Yeah, there are a couple of specific stories that happen while they're in the wilderness that are really striking where the, the people of Israel are hungry and they don't have any food. And so through God, God through Moses, provides them with the manna, the bread that's from heaven. Uh, and then also they're lacking water. And Moses, um, God through Moses, provides water through the rock for them to drink um, and some various other um, provisions that God gives them. And there was also, when Moses would go up on Mount Sinai, when he would come down, he, had, he wore a veil. Uh, and what was, what, what had happened to his face after he would speak with God? After he spoke with God, his face was shining, but Moses didn't realize it. And so when he comes down the mountain, the people are like, whoa. <laughs> so Moses puts a veil over his face uh, when he comes out from speaking with God um, so that the people won't look at him because he's just reflecting the glory of God. All right. 
So there's, we've got Moses. And then, of course, he dies. Joshua, uh, his successor, leads him into the promised land. Uh, and then we'll have the prophets who will repeatedly give, well, you'll have King David and an establishment of some promises about the seed of King David and what will come through that king forever. And then there will be prophets who will prophesy about one to come, a seed of David to come uh, in messianic prophecy and such. And so by the time of Christ, people are looking for a Messiah. When John the Baptist comes, people are asking, are you the Messiah? Uh, but let's back up now and compare. Mother, Drew, did you have a comment or a point? I, I was just gonna tell you, watch your time. Okay, thanks. Somebody please read Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. So many years ago, uh, I was in my young 20s, I guess, and I was reading through Deuteronomy, and I got to this verse, and it says what? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. All right. When we look at prophecy in some more detail, we can talk about the difference between like just a straight up prophecy. This is going to happen and it happens. Like the Babylonians are going to take you into captivity and the Babylonians take you into captivity. And dual fulfillment prophecies where there might be two levels. Uh, this one might have had some initial fulfillment in Joshua. But Acts 3, Peter lays the final fulfillment of this to be in Jesus Christ. And as I'm reading that years ago, it said, I noticed where it said, like me. And I started wondering, I wonder how much there is to that. In what ways was Jesus like Moses? So start exploring that. How was Jesus like Moses? Well, at the beginning of their life, there's a slaughter of baby boys with Moses. It's Pharaoh trying to kill the Israelite boys. And with Jesus, it's Herod trying to kill the so-called king in Bethlehem. Yeah. And that's not usually what happens when people were born. How many of us had to be hidden and protected because the king was trying to kill the boys? That's, that's, not, a, that's not a usual event. But that's what we see at the beginning of Moses' life. That's what we see at the beginning of Jesus' life. What else? Yeah, so after Moses um, leaves, well, we'll actually, we'll keep it chronological. Moses, like Drew was bringing up, he's in the, the royal family. He has the opportunity to be a prince, to, to live comfortably, to, you know, just kind of ignore the Jewish people if he wanted to. Uh, and Philippians chapter 2 talks about how Jesus was, you know, in heaven but he left. He humbled himself, emptied himself, and came to earth um, and gave up, you know, where he was to come and, and live among his people and be offered as a sacrifice. CJ writes in the bronze serpent in Numbers 13. Moses put a bronze serpent on a standard when they were being plagued with snakes and said, look to this, and they could be saved. And Jesus himself, I believe it's in John 3, said, as Moses listed up that standard, those who look to me will be able to be saved. And as CJ says, they're both saviors of the people. Who saved the Israelites from bondage? Moses. Moses. Who saves us from the bondage of sin? Jesus. What else? 
they were also the leaders of the people on the way to the promised land. They were, uh, Moses was a shepherd by trade before he was called to, uh, you know, go and get the people out of Egypt and really kind of became their shepherd through the wilderness, leading them through the wilderness. Um, and then Jesus is described in the New Testament as our good shepherd um, right. who leads us on our way to the promised land. Stephen. CJ mentioned earlier that a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament was the lawgiver, Moses, and then Jesus. But that's also a comparison, is that Jesus becomes the lawgiver of God's law for all people in the New Testament. And it's notable, there's this amazing moment in Jesus's life when he goes up on a mountain and he is changed. He's transfigured in front of his disciples and there with him on that mountain are Moses and Elijah. And it's interesting in that moment, uh, Peter is excited. He's like, let's, let's build three places for these guys to stay. But then God comes in a cloud, much like he did on Mount Sinai, and says, this is my beloved son. You listen to him. And then when the cloud leaves, so do Moses and Elijah. And just Jesus is there. Yeah. And so there's this powerful picture of Jesus is like Moses but he is greater than Moses. Yes. And that, but what is it when, when there's all three of them there, Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, one of the prophets, and Jesus, and Peter makes that statement, and the voice said, what did it say again? This, this is, is my beloved son. And then it says, listen to him, which is just like Deuteronomy 18. Right, right. Uh, I'm gonna throw up a couple of charts here real quickly. Uh, just this uh, comparison right here. Uh, they were, the Israelites were in bondage and they had to, the, the thing that they put over their doorposts that allowed them to escape the effects of that final plague of the firstborn put, and that saved them was what? The blood of the Passover lamb. And then after that, they are delivered, but they have to pass through the water you know, go through the Dead Sea. Is it the Red Sea? The Red Sea. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Dead Sea up there. Uh, and then they have some trial times in the wilderness while they're on the way toward the Promised Land. Well, in the New Testament, we were in bondage to sin. We can be delivered through the blood of the Lamb. We are baptized into Christ. We go through trials on the way to our Promised Land. And I'm going to jump. Oh, we don't need all these charts. Um, here we go. Joseph. Gee, oh, we already had that. Let's finish up here. We've already summed it up, but I'll just get it up here on the screen. Uh, you had the slaughter of the infant males, Moses and Jesus. Came to assist the people, Moses and Jesus. Left the realm of royalty, Moses and Jesus. Attested by signs and powers, Moses and Jesus. Passes through the water, Moses and Jesus. Into the wilderness, Moses and Jesus. Without food for 40 days, Moses and Jesus. Ascends the mountain, Moses and Jesus. Face illuminated, fed the multitude. Delivered from bondage, lawgiver to the people. Established a covenant. Interceded and offered self. Uh, if you recall, Moses offered uh, that, and then Deuteronomy 18, the Lord's going to bring a prophet like me. When he comes, you listen to him. 
and is at the time of Jesus when he's on the mount and his face is shining. And God says, this is my son, hear ye him. Final comments. Wasn't Jesus shining bright too on the mount? That's exactly right. That's right. You know, what's interesting about this is with almost any one of these uh, shadows, you could say, oh, well, that's kind of a coincidence. But man, when you add them up, and it's not just Moses, it's Joseph and Isaac and David and Noah, and I mean, you just multiply them. It, it's incredible uh, to see the weight of the evidence that the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, and he's the fulfillment of all of it. And then there's specific prophecies that maybe we can look at next week or sometime in the next few weeks, or yeah. specific prophecies as well. Very good. When yeah. you say, Scott, that the, as, as, uh, Stephen brought up, it's, it can't be coincidence. If it's just one or two, you'd say coincidence, but all of those put together, can you say that it's mathematically impossible to have that happen if God didn't have his hand in there? It's, points of faith are, I don't like to try to qualify them sometimes in, in, in certain ways, but when you look at the evidence, Jesus said, I don't bear witness myself. He said, look at the witnesses. There's John the Baptist, who had a huge following. He said, it's not me, it's him. He said, look at this, the works of the Father I'm doing, the sign. And then he said, look at the prophecy. And so that's what we're asked to do, to look at those scriptures, to look at those prophecies. And you can claim different things, but when you start adding it all together, and a few things, yes, you could say that's coincidental. A few things you could say, well, that was a purposeful fulfillment. I mean, Jesus occasionally will do something, and it will say, what? He did this to fulfill. But some things were out of Jesus' control, things that happened at his birth and, and, and different things. Uh, and you start putting it together, putting it together. And I find, we're not going to get into this, uh, but the Koran. The Koran uses the Bible as a starting point, and yet... Where, where is this fantastic system of typology that fits Muhammad? You, you don't have that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some similarities. I mean, uh, David won some battles, and Muhammad won some battles. But when you try to look at prophecies between Muhammad and the Bible, it just falls apart. Yeah, I wasn't trying to negate faith, but God doesn't expect us to have blind faith. So he wants us to have faith, but he gives us the evidence of things we could see and understand and research to have faith in those things that we can't see, such as him. Right. Yeah, well put. He gives us evidence that we can look at for, to have a reason to believe the things that we don't see. Yeah, and all those things are really cool. Whenever you look at those different stories, and we just look really briefly at the story of Isaac and, and Joseph and Moses, but when you look more in detail, um, and go outside of those three and see just the stories in the Old Testament. Um, it's the same basic story that kind of keeps happening over and over. There's a problem, and then God helps the people. Um, and that's, that's really important for us still today, because it's cool to see that connection, but you get to some of the specific prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 53, um, which we may talk about next week. Um, it's the, the problems that the people were having back in Moses's time or back in, in you know, Abraham's time are the same basic problems that we're having now. And Jesus is the answer to that for us. And it's really, really cool to see that all get tied together. So um, maybe Lord willing, next week we'll get to look at some of that. Or uh, if any of our viewers have some specific questions 
or Bible passages or things that you'd like us to discuss uh, online, we'd be happy to do that as well. You can submit those to BibleQuest.org. Um, and we would be happy to talk with you privately as well. Uh, you can send us messages um, and, and we can help you uh, work through some of the questions that you guys have. Thank you all. Thank you panelists for your discussion this afternoon and for our viewers for coming in and those who download the podcast later. Um, we're glad that you guys get to listen in as well. And we will see you all next week on Tuesday, Lord willing.